Today's podcast is brought to you by Something Blue by Anita Kay, specializing in wedding and event photography. Visit her page on Facebook for something new. Think Something Blue by Anita Kay. Please don't hump my lamb. Dude, I am seven fingers in the Jim Beam. Get the fucking chili hot dog out of my face. Your next comedian coming to the stage. He's so funny. He's such a hoot. And making yeah, sure let me shove this well. baby out of my out of my chewed up jibs and then stoner and the fat man. Fuck you, Mark. Fuck off, everybody. <laughs> Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Poulos, as always. Today on the podcast, um, I just finished working with uh, Tom Arnold at the uh, Virginia Beach Funny Bone. thought it might be interesting to uh, recount some of the... uh, most interesting stories that I have about uh, working with famous people. Um, over the years, obviously, touring around, I've crossed paths with, uh, you know, really famous people and then people that are kind of on the fringe of being famous. So um, it was fun working with Tom Arnold. He uh, He's a really cool guy and... Uh, He's just, you know, what I find about all these, like, famous people, people from Hollywood, they're just, like, they're just a little off, you know? Like, he seemed uh, really scatterbrained and stuff. Like, he couldn't really focus on things. And um, he just was doing these really long shows. I mean, it was ridiculous. Like, one show he did two hours and a lot of people were getting up and leaving just because, you know, people's people's attention spans are pretty short nowadays to try to pull off two hours. But uh, we had a couple conversations, and they were really short, and uh, there wasn't much to them. <laughs> I think the best part was, like, last night when we were wrapping up the shows and saying goodbye um the whole weekend he was selling uh he sells t-shirts and then he matches the money and he donates it all to this uh this camp that he created for uh kids with heart problems which is an amazing charity um but for whatever reason like he didn't have a credit card swiper and uh they're pretty easy to get nowadays like you can go by radio shack and get the swiper and download the program on your phone fill out like two things of information and and you're ready to go you can take credit cards so uh i was accepting credit cards the whole weekend and uh selling quite a bit of t-shirts and so when we were having our small moment of saying goodbye (laughs) instead of like you know, maybe focusing on uh, on the show and the comedy and stuff. I said, you know, it's really great to meet you and and watch your show. And and then he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, 
So how does this credit card swiper thing work? And then for the next like 15 minutes, it was just me explaining to Tom Arnold how you get the square on your phone. And uh, I found it pretty funny. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think the I think the best part about opening for famous people and like, you know, I've said before, comedy is very subjective. You know, people people are going to like what they like. And I had a lot of people this week tell me that I was funnier than Tom Arnold. And I was like, yeah, maybe in that scenario, you know, where I'm doing 25 minutes, he's doing two hours, and you have this expectation of what you're going to see, and his show is more of stories um, with not as many punchlines, and my whole show is punchlines, so... I mean, I appreciate it, and uh, I'm, I feel very blessed for people thinking that I'm funnier than Tom Arnold, but, you know, I, I think that's the, the best part about it is, like, you know, for a moment, you know, you do feel like, uh, like you've, you know, that you are funnier than Tom Arnold, but I know it's not true. He gets millions for movies and TV shows, and I'm going to get my check tonight and uh, hopefully pay the mortgage. So, so there's a bunch of other uh, famous people that I worked with that had funny stories that I thought I'd share with you. Uh, I did a podcast a while back about working with Mick Foley, and uh, I think I covered most of the stuff on that podcast, but, uh, I just thought it was so cool, um, cause it's like, it's not that often that, uh, that life is long enough that you're able to meet, you know, somebody that you look up to, you know, it's just so wild, you know, back when I decided for whatever reason that I wanted to be in the entertainment business and, uh, I started writing jokes and doing open mics. I would have never thought I would have been able to meet some of these people. And, you know, sometimes it's a disappointment, you know, because you see them on TV and whatever, and, and you're hoping that they're as cool as they are on TV, and, and then you meet them and you realize that they're just, you know, really fucked up. And uh, it's disappointing in a way, but then it's like, you know, at least you got that moment to to meet him or whatever. But Mick Foley was another guy that was just, like, so cool and just, like, you know, so excited to talk wrestling. And, and uh, me and my brother growing up were just such huge fans of wrestling and Mick Foley and, and that Undertaker-Mick Foley match that uh, getting to sit and talk with him, even for, like, ten minutes, was just, like it blew me away, but he was another guy where, like, um, his whole show was just stories, and there weren't as many punchlines in it, and, uh, and people were disappointed, but it's just, like, if I could say one thing to the people that listen to this podcast, if you're expecting, when you go to a comedy club, and you make a specific decision to go and see a famous person at the comedy club, especially somebody that's known 
worldwide for something other than stand-up comedy uh it's not going to be the stand-up comedy that you know it's going to be long drawn-out stories about famous people that they know and weird scenarios that usually meander around with no real point uh but it's entertaining and like that's the whole point like I've had this argument with so many other comedians about what is comedy in the comedy club and the whole thing is it's like it's entertainment you know there's this umbrella over the comedy club and they take all comers you know they take stand up they take hypnotism they take juggling music i mean it's all entertainment and some purist in the comedy business they get upset when some famous guy like just comes in and is trying to get a paycheck but you know that's the whole point of the business right now is the people that are headlining the major comedy clubs around the country are not necessarily the funniest people they're the people that are that are able to sell the tickets and in the end, stand-up comedy, comedy clubs, is a business just like anything else. And it's a business that's hurting right now. So for these clubs around the country to make their money, they have to bring in these huge names so that when they put that, that lit-up sign in front of the comedy club that says, you know, Tom Arnold or... Uh, um, Lisa Lampanelli or whatever, you know, Jim Norton or Jim Gaffigan or whatever, you know, those are actually probably aren't good examples of what I'm trying to say. But it's like when they put that name up there, people walking by go, oh my God, that's so crazy. Mick Foley is going to be here. And everybody knows Mick Foley, you know. So they just assume that Mick Foley is now a stand-up comic, and he's not. He's just, he's still Mick Foley. He's just basically telling stories from his life that have humorous anecdotes in them. So just keep that in mind, because I, I was working with, uh, I think the most eye-opening thing about that was when uh, I got booked to open for David Keckner. And if you don't know David Keckner. Um, he was Todd Packer on The Office, and most notably, he was Champ Kind uh, from the Anchorman movies. And uh, he's been in a ton of other stuff. But So I met up with him the first night, and we were just chatting about comedy. And he opened up to me that he had started an improv, and then he became an actor, and he had never done stand-up comedy before. And... It was just some crazy idea that him and his manager had to capitalize on the anchorman and the and the office for him to just kind of tour around and like tell stories like all these famous people do. And he said to me that first night, he goes, listen, I don't know how this is going to go because I don't have any jokes. Like, I don't really know what I'm going to do up there. He goes, I'm going to start this show under the guise of like improv and see where it goes. And in the back of my head, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be the worst thing ever. Because, 
I don't know. For me, stand-up comedy is a very, like, uh, prepped thing. You know, you're writing and practicing and writing and practicing, and then, you know, you're trying to get it all perfect. It's not a, a scenario where you just go up there and see what happens, you know. So he went up that first night, and it was horrible. Like, people were walking out. I heard a lot of people saying, what is this? Because he was just, like, trying to get stuff going with the audience, talking to him and, and whatever. So we got done with the show, and uh, I didn't see him again until the next night when we were doing the Iowa City College campus. And that show was amazing because the entire crowd was college kids that loved The Office and uh, the Anchorman movies. So literally for like two hours, all he did was lines from The Office and from Anchorman. That's the whole thing. And uh, I was sitting with the other comic and I was just like, just so, you know, because he was an amazingly nice guy too. Like he was just so genuine and so nice. Uh, Like one of the nights he asked me to help him like write some material and, um, but uh, I was just sitting with the other comic, and I'm like, is this comedy? You know, and it's not. It's just entertainment, you know. But then uh, when we got to the weekend, he was kind of figuring out his stride and what uh, what he wanted to do with the show, and, and uh, he started getting really good. And I know he's still touring now. He must be amazing now because that was like the first week he'd ever toured as a stand-up comic, so he's probably figured out a lot of the tricks tricks of the trade um and the other funny thing too is when i tour sometimes i'll run into uh people that are famous because of stuff they did years ago and it's just like stuck in the minds of the populace you know i think one of the most notable notable things is uh, uh comedians as uh jimmy jj walker and if you don't know who J.J. Walker is, he was on the TV show Good Times. And he had a catchphrase where he would say, Dynamite. And this guy is like the most interesting person I've ever met. Because uh, he got his notoriety because of that TV show. But he's also a legitimate stand-up comedian. Like, he went... And he wrote material, did the open mics and toured and everything like that. But it's so odd to me to watch him do comedy. Because his entire show is impersonal. Like, it's it's like a 45-minute Jay Leno monologue. Like, every joke is, Saw this in the paper today. Read this in the news today. You hear about this famous person? It's like watching TMZ do comedy. Like, and it just fascinated me because I'm like, you know, if he if he broke down the walls and like talked about his life and talked about life on good times and the struggles he had in his life and stuff like that, I think, I don't know, I think people would like it more because... The couple times I worked with him, a lot of people were walking out because they were so angry over the fact that he wasn't talking about himself at all. It was just like this very, you know, uh, 
top level cursory comedy where it just never really dug in at all um and the funny so i worked with him at the funny bone in des moines and apparently he doesn't allow anybody else on the show to sell merchandise which is fine you know it's his prerogative if that's what he wants to do i think it's like the biggest dick move in the world of a headliner to tell a feature act that they can't sell merchandise after the show when when he's making like five to ten thousand dollars and the feature act is making like three hundred dollars selling that two or three hundred dollars worth of t-shirts may be the difference between them getting gas money to get home but so I didn't know that he didn't let people sell on his show and nobody talked to me about it so I went on stage and I was doing my show and then I said I had some t-shirts for sale and like seconds after I said that I was handed a napkin on stage and I read it and the napkin said uh don't pitch your shirts JJ Walker and I was like oh shit so this is serious so but the crowd started chanting they started going show the shirts show the shirts show the shirts and I was like oh god so I showed them and then I just put my bag in the car because the general manager was like I don't know why you pitched your shirts because you can't sell them after the show and I said I know but you know maybe some people go to my website or something like that so but after the show, like this group of like 10 people came up to me and they were like, are you really selling those shirts? And I was like, no. However, meet me by my car in five minutes. <laughs> and I sold a bunch of shirts out of the trunk of my car. Nobody found out about it, so that was good. But I think the most interesting thing about J.J. Walker is he, he got famous off of his catchphrase, which is dynamite. And at this point in his life, he refuses to say dynamite. He won't say it on stage. He won't say it after the show. If he's on stage and somebody yells dynamite towards the stage, they get escorted out of the show. Best part of this whole story is that the shirt he sells after the show is a picture of himself holding two sticks of dynamite with a huge talk bubble that says dynamite. <laughs> I mean, it just seems it seems so hypocritical. Like he won't say it. You get thrown out if you say it. But here's a twenty dollars shirt, and the best is all he travels with is extra larges. That's it. Uh, you want a medium, a small, a two X? Forget about it. All he has is XL, and I'll sign the shirt and he'll give it to you. But that was J.J. Walker in a nutshell. Um, another guy that I worked with who got most of his fame early in his career was uh, Tom Wilson. And if you guys don't know who Tom Wilson is, you probably know his, uh, his other moniker, which is Biff from the Back to the Future movies. He plays Biff. And the funniest part about Tom Wilson is he was a huge stand-up comic in the 70s before he got the part as Biff and Back to the Future. But, I mean, we know all know now that those three movies, the three Back to the Future movies, were such a huge part of our culture that it's hard for people to see him not as Biff from Back to the Future, you know. And he does such a great... Uh, he does a song in his show right off the top called All the Questions... 
and it's like uh it's all all the questions he gets about back to the future and he just like lays it all out right at the beginning and i'll tell you this man talking about entertainment his opening to the show is the most entertaining thing i've ever seen in my life even though it makes absolutely no fucking sense it is hilarious so what he does is they intro him with i think uh bad to the bone is the song that he comes to the stage with and he's also a guitar comic obviously because he sings a song called all the questions so he comes on stage with the guitar and he's like you know kind of uh preening and showing himself on stage and then they cut the music and then he just starts playing the guitar and he starts playing this like really nice song with with good chord changes and he keeps walking around the stage and he gets close to the microphone like he's gonna sing and then he backs off and he keeps playing and then he gets closer and closer and then when he gets to the point where he's actually gonna start singing he stops suddenly and shoots a ping pong ball out of his mouth (laughs) it's just like the craziest thing ever and it just like catches you off guard so much but the best is like right after that he just puts the guitar down and then he starts singing uh oh mandy that song by uh i think it's barry manilow but he's like you came and you saw and then he puts the microphone in front of like a guy's mouth and he's like what's your what's your name and then that guy will say like scott and then he shoots the mic back up and he's like oh scott you came and you saw and then he'll put the microphone in front of another guy's mouth and that guy assumes that he wants him to say his name so he'll say his name and then he freaks out and he's like he's like no todd it's scott okay this song is about scott who the hell do you think you are and then he just starts knocking on his head and saying uh mcfly or something like that and people lose their minds but it's like after he gets past all of that kind of stuff then he just starts doing material about like his life and his wife and his kids and his house and stuff and people just they uh he loses a lot of people because that's a situation too where even though he does the song up front he does the song up front about uh, all the questions i think people assume that uh his entire set is going to be about back to the future and people get kind of ticked off about it and that's another thing is the first couple times that i worked with him i've worked with him three times he was selling uh eight by ten color headshots uh, and they were like little screenshots of the movie like of his character like one picture was him holding michael j fox up against a car and then another one was like that old west picture where he was dressed like mad dog or whatever and uh he would sell these pictures for 20 bucks a piece and then he would sign them and give them to you um but the last time that i worked with him he said he had made the a decision that uh he was really once and for all going to try to put the back to the future stuff away and just be a stand-up comic again and you know i understand it but you know 
you're known for one re and you know god bless him for doing that because i i know on the other hand like sometimes i'll i'll be you know a little judgmental against people that are riding something that happened like 20 years ago and they ride it forever you know so god bless them for actually having that idea of leaving it behind but people were so angry the last time i worked with them because they're all standing there with like back to the future posters and like these commemorative deloreans and the dvd box sets and all this kind of stuff and uh they made an announcement before anybody came up to the table like you know tom wilson uh will be selling i think he was like selling uh a t-shirt at at the time about one of his jokes and they were like, Tom Wilson will be selling... Oh, he was also selling his new DVD that just came out that he recorded live in Los Angeles. And uh, it said, Tom is selling a shirt and a DVD, and, and he will sign the, the DVD and the shirt if you purchase it. Uh, however, uh, and I feel like they made up some kind of thing, but they said, you know, due to certain copyright infringements... Tom will not be able to sign any Back to the Future memorabilia or something like that. So, like, these people just, like, I mean, the air went out of the room. They were like, oh, man. And uh, there was one guy who just, <clears throat> he wouldn't understand it. Like, he had this huge, like, commemorative DeLorean, and he wanted him to sign it. And uh, Tom was just like, I can't. I'm not going to do it. And he got really pissed off. Um, one of the times I worked with him, um, and I think it was Denver. We had, there was two incidents, which were kind of funny. Uh, I wasn't in the showroom, but apparently he had a back and forth with a table that was heckling him, uh, cause they felt like he should be doing more back to the future material and he wasn't. So he came out and, uh, and he was trying to set his shit up and this group was getting thrown out and they were like yelling back and forth at each other. You know, he's like, you know, you need respect, you know, shut your fucking mouth when you're in there. And uh, the heckler guy actually made a pretty funny joke because Tom's shirt was a little tight on him. And he was like, fuck you, man. Why don't you go buy another shirt at Baby Gap? And then they like threw him out of the room and actually made me laugh. And I had to kind of, I kind of had to chew it back a little bit. And the other incident... The thing I've noticed a lot about these famous people is they're very re regimental. Like they they have their the things that they do before the show, and everything's got to be you know perfectly in order, or their brain is kind of like spinning out of control. You know, like um, for Tom Wilson, um, he he liked to get to the show an hour and a half before it started. So he could order dinner, eat it and enjoy it, and then relax, and then get on stage. So he had this, like, routine that he would do every day. And uh, so the last night that we were there, it was Sunday, and the person that was handling everything, I guess, was off. And the second-in-command was dealing with it, and they didn't know some of the thing. Like, because Tom, Tom would get picked up at, like, 6 and then they would come back and get me at like 7.30 because I'm like, I don't want to go to the comedy club like two hours before it starts. So that message wasn't relayed to the second in command. So 
I came down at 7.30 thinking the car was going to be there for me and Tom would already be at the comedy club. And he was like pacing back and forth outside of the hotel, like losing his fucking mind. He's like, where the hell is this car? It was supposed to be here an hour and a half ago. I got to eat my meal. And I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. So we're both calling the club and the guy's like, you know, oh shit, I guess I didn't get that message. The car will be there in like one minute. And then the SUV showed up, and the guy that was driving the car, he didn't understand what was going on. So he pops out of the car like, how we doing, gentlemen? And Tom Wilson just, like, fucking lost his mind on this guy. He's like, shut up, shut up, get in the car, get in the car, take my guitar, put it in there, let's go, let's go, let's go. And this guy's like, what the fuck is going on here? But he was... uh. He was a nice guy, a little weird, but a nice guy. Um, so I worked with uh, with Angel Salazar too earlier in my career, and if you don't know who Angel Salazar is, he's uh, he's most uh, I think most known for his part in uh, in Scarface. He was like. I haven't seen Scarface in years, so I don't remember what his character was, but he's like the little scrawny, like, Mexicano guy that, you know, God, what the hell is his fucking catchphrase? Oh, shuck it out. That's his catchphrase. A shuck it out. And, uh, and I worked with him in, in Iowa, and he's another guy that just, like, his show goes on and on forever. But for some reason, he was kind of reserved the week that I worked with him. He was only doing, like, hour tens. And people said that sometimes he would do, like, three-hour shows. But I think a couple funny things about Angel Salazar was that his show, um, he needed a black guy in the show. Like, the majority of his comedy show revolved around coming back to this black guy in the crowd. And it was like you know all these jokes about him and uh so there was one show because it was iowa and it was one show the entire crowd it was like sold out and the entire crowd was white people like there wasn't one black person in like this 200 person crowd like he and it really jarred him like he walked all the way through the crowd trying to find one black guy so he could do this this material in his show and he got really lost and uh, to the point that he had to make a white guy in the front row the black guy. And he goes, I'm going to call you Tyrone for the rest of the show. And it didn't work at all. Like, people were just kind of getting offended that he was calling a white guy a black guy. And he was saying a lot of racist stuff, which, you know, was funny when it was an actual black guy because he had a way of, you know, making it funny. But when it was a white guy pretending to be black and he was being racist to him it just really didn't work but so the last night that we were working together um apparently his coke dealer showed up and uh so at the end of angel's show he uh he does a bunch of costumes and he does a bunch of music and dancing and just like all this craziness and usually that whole thing will take like 25 minutes or so uh, he did like a three and a half hour set that show 
surprisingly. So people were walking out, and um, I ended up selling like a couple hundred dollars worth of T-shirts before he was even done. Um, but he went on forever, and I just I don't get I don't get the marathon shows. Like I just don't understand. Like we were, you know, because Tom Arnold was going so long this week that we and the the staff at the Funny Bone down there were just talking about like comics that go forever on stage because there's a few that have a reputation of just never stop like apparently eddie griffith will do like three or four hour shows uh carlos mencia will do like three or four hour shows and um just all these i just don't get the three or four hour shows like are they on stage really assuming that everyone in the crowd is with them for three or four hours like they said by the time that eddie griffith got done at the funny bone here there were people that were asleep at their tables you know because after a while he wasn't even doing material anymore he was just like talking to a guy in the front row like hey so what'd you do today did you get a sandwich or something so i just i don't understand um Last fall, I got to work with uh, Chris Catan from SNL, and I was like really excited about that week because I'm such a huge Chris Catan fan and Will Ferrell and that whole that whole uh, cast of SNL. And I was like, oh my god, this is gonna be so much fun to work with Chris Catan. You know, he's so many good characters and all this stuff. And I feel bad for Chris Catan. He's got a lot of stuff going on right now that I don't. Because what happened was he got to the club and and what he wanted to do was he wanted to host the show and he wanted to bring me on stage and then this other guy that he brought with him and uh, the owner of the comedy club said you know these people paid $30 a ticket to come and see you and you're going to headline the show and and Chris kind of lost it a little bit because I guess he doesn't usually headline the show like this is what he does is he hosts hosts the show and 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 people get their dose of Chris Kattan and he doesn't have to do a 45 minute set at the end of the show so the first night he goes up there and he just starts like talking about his dog and then uh he does a few a few of like little snippets of the characters and then uh he talks about like his favorite thing to do is to pretend to poop things so he would like take somebody's ketchup bottle off their table and put it behind him and make a noise and then drop it from between his legs so it was just it was hard to watch because he did like 25 minutes that first night and uh and walked off stage so then uh you know things are bad with somebody when because I came in the next night and I walked in the green room not knowing that the owner owner of the comedy club and Chris were in there together and all I heard as I walked in was the owner of the comedy club going you know why don't you talk about maybe some of the famous people you know or some funny stories that happened behind the scenes on Saturday Night Live I think people would really like to hear that you know it's like you know things are bad when the owner of the comedy club is trying to trying to tell you how how you should be doing your your show on stage you know 
and he was on pills and it was pretty obvious that he was doing cocaine because the last night when we were getting paid they handed us all our checks and then he uh he took his check and he immediately turned to the bartender and he was like hey do you still got that coke right in front of the owner and the gm of the comedy club and the gm just turns to the owner and the other people he goes did that just happen really right in front of us and the bartender turned to chris and was like i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) and uh and that was chris Catan in a nutshell man he was i mean he was a nice guy he was just kind of weird he he stood outside and took pictures with everybody and chatted about you know snl and and uh all that kind of stuff but uh once again it was just a scenario where it's a improv comedy guy that just didn't have any didn't have a stand-up you know and I think that's a problem is like sometimes these these famous people they're just like and it bothers me because I feel like they look down on the craft of stand-up comedy you know they feel like oh all I got to do is just book a tour in these clubs and I'll just show up there and I'll go on stage and I'll talk and and something will happen something will something will go and it's it's not that easy man this is a hard thing you know you just you have to work and work and work and try and retry and rewrite and retry and you know what happens is these guys will come into these comedy clubs and and the people that are booked to open for them are guys like me guys that have been out there for 14 years busting our asses you know writing and rewriting and uh doing all crowds you know crowds of three people crowds of a thousand people crowds in the south crowds in canada crowds in bars in comedy clubs in theaters in restaurants in eagles uh bars and we have been in front of like every possible combination of crowd there is and we know what jokes work in every single one of those places and then these guys come in from like new york and la and they may have a ton of material that detroit that destroys in los angeles but then they come to like cincinnati or you know louisville kentucky and they're trying all these jokes about smog and traffic and the gay scene and just like all this stuff and it's just gonna lie flat because you're not in los angeles anymore and uh and what happens is a lot of these famous people they come to these comedy clubs and they get exposed they get exposed for not having material because they'll have a guy like me or or uh you know tons of other funny comedians out there that are unknown and we just light it up because now we're compacted down to a 25 minute set and we're in front of a room of like 300 people that are there for comedy forget about it man that's like putting a you know putting a tiger into a cage with a zebra you know out on the out on the open plain a tiger has to exert some effort to take that zebra down but you lock him in a cage with a zebra forget about it man it's go time And that's what happens, you know.
they just get exposed and then people in the crowd are upset because they're like you know that second guy was funnier than the famous guy well yeah because that's just what's happening in the business now um the last story that i've got for you uh is i worked with uh, lisa lampanelli and uh if you don't know who lisa lampanelli is she uh she made her, uh, uh, you know, her name for herself on the Comedy Central roasts. She's like a late forties lady. That's uh, some say she's like the female Don Rickles because she does a lot about race and a lot of really filthy material. So what's funny is I worked with her in New York years ago before she had the roasts and blew up to how famous she is now and uh, she had a problem with me right off the bat because uh, I wanted to sell merchandise and I wanted to play my guitar on stage and like all of that was nixed within seconds of her coming in the room she was like uh, told the manager and the manager told me like you can't play guitar you can't sell your merchandise and she wants to do like an hour and 20 minutes, so you're going to be doing 15 minute sets. So I was like, all right. And he goes, oh, and by the way, you have to be squeaky clean because she wants the shock value of, uh, of the filthy material. And I said, that's fine because I mostly wrote clean at that point. So, so then I tried to uh, like introduce myself to her and uh, she was pretty standoffish so at that point I was just like you know I, I don't want to have anything to do with her like I'm going to do my set and then I'm going to go out in the bar and just hang out and not even listen in to her show or whatever so the first night I went up and I did my 20 minutes and I just destroyed and then she came on stage and for like 20 minutes she had a really tough time getting the audience to laugh because I was so squeaky clean and so funny at the time that her coming out of the gate, like her opening joke was something like, we're my ladies who like black cock. You know, it's just like, whoa, that's just really in your face. <laughs> and uh, and she had a tough time. So then the next night when I came in, I was told by the manager that I was going to now be doing 10 minutes because she wanted to do more time. So like you compressed me even further, like it was even better than the night before. Uh, and she had even a tougher time following me. So then Friday, I come in, and I'm just sitting in the back of the room, and then this other comic walks in, and uh, and her, him and, and Lisa Lampanelli, like, embrace in this big hug, and they're laughing and joking, and, uh, and I just turn to the MC and I go, okay, I'm fired. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I go, Oh, I don't know, another comedian just showed up that she loves and is like her best friend. I go, there's no way I, I'm still on this show. So I went up on stage and started with the same joke I had started with the two nights before. And uh, within seconds, I started getting motions from the back of the room that I needed to get off stage. So I thought I thought something was going on, like there was some emergency. So I wrapped up and I got off stage and the... The manager of the club bring, brought me into his office, and he goes, he goes, I got to fire you. And I said, yeah, I kind of figured. 
and he goes he goes what do you mean and i go oh i don't know that that other comic came in and and her and him seem like best friends so i I assumed I was probably going to get fired because she doesn't like me. And he goes, well, you're getting fired because you did one of her jokes on stage. And I was so baffled. I was like, what are you talking about? So this is basically what happened. So she hadn't been listening to my set all week. And this other comic showed up. So then she immediately started listening to my set to try to find some reason to get me thrown off the show. So she has a joke. And I don't know if she does it anymore. She probably does. But uh, she would find a black guy in the audience and say, Holy shit, what are you doing here? I didn't think you could be 100 miles away from your house with that ankle bracelet. So that was her joke. And a joke that I was telling that uh, I had been telling for years that was on my first album was I would start my show with a joke about uh, Jack Daniels because at the time I was drinking Jack Daniels. So I would say, uh, you know, are we drinking tonight? And people would cheer, and I'm like, who's drinking Jack Daniels? And usually there would only be like one or two people that would cheer, so it would be kind of funny. And then I would say, whoa, two people, all right. I guess everybody else is home with bracelets on their ankles, you know. And then I would go into this bit about uh, if you're going to go out and drink Jack Daniels, you need to have a different conversation with you at at the front door like if you were just going out for the evening it's a pretty quick thing you're like all right i got phone wallet keys i'm good to go but with jack daniels it's a longer thing where you're like phone wallet keys knife bail money brass knuckles like i would go on forever and because i said ankle bracelet that's what got me fired and I, I was just like, I looked to the manager and I go, this is bullshit. And he goes, yeah, I know. So they paid me all my money and I said, well, I guess I'll see you around. I said, I really like this club. I'm kind of sad it's in, ending this way. And he said, uh, he goes, oh, no, we love you. He's like, in fact, can I rebook you three months from now to come back and open for Jimmy Schubert? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'd love that. So uh, I came back three months later, and I worked with Jimmy Schubert. And that was another funny week. First of all, on Friday, the show that I got fired the last time, apparently somebody had told him about it. So when I got off stage, he told me I was fired because I did a, a unicorn joke. And he's like, I do unicorn jokes, motherfucker. And I was like, are you really firing me? And they just all started laughing. I was like, oh, you assholes. Um, but one of the funniest stories with Jimmy Schubert was, um, so one of the shows, there was a, a huge table to the right of the stage that was having like a 40th birthday party and they were being a little rowdy and like chatting with the MC. And then when I got up there, they started hooting and hollering at me and, and it really wasn't anything like rough. They were just like every once in a while, they'd kind of say something or whatever. And it wasn't that bad. But apparently one of the bouncers told Jimmy Schubert, like, be careful, there's a huge table on the right side of the stage that's really giving Mark some trouble up there. They're heckling and we're trying to settle them down, but, you know, they're really ruining the show, which they weren't. So I don't know why this guy told Jimmy Schubert, but it was actually kind of funny because... <laughs> so Jimmy went on stage and he did, like, one joke and one of the ladies... He did something about being Catholic and she was like, I'm Catholic! And he just, like 
lost it on her. He just started attacking her. He's like, listen, I think we're all done hearing what the fuck you want to say. Why don't you shut your fucking mouth? He's like, I'll pay your bill and you can get the fuck out of here. And thinking that, like, the crowd was waiting for somebody to say something like that, he turned as though he was waiting for a huge round of applause and it was just silent and all you heard was a lady weeping <laughs> because it was her 40th birthday and he had just yelled at her so they all got up and left and then after the show i could see that they were all waiting in the bar and they kept looking in like waiting for him to get off stage and i told the same bouncer i go listen when this guy i'm like when jimmy gets done these women are going to charge in here and like really get in his face and he goes don't tell me how to do my job so right as jimmy got done the bouncer left and these ladies came in and it was like they were trying to get at him over the table and one of them was like swinging her purse at him and it was just a whole fucking thing and then after it all died down we looked up and like the 400 people that were in the room were gone and we had sold like no merchandise so we were sitting at the bar between shows and we were just having a drink and it was just so funny because Jimmy turned to me and he goes, uh, he goes, you know, I think I better get my, uh, get my ego in check and my temper because it seems to really be hurting our merch sales. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I guess it is. Uh, but to close up this podcast, uh, it's just such a crazy thing this business is, so... I worked with Lisa Lampanelli, and she got me fired off that show. And then years later, uh, it was probably five or six years later, I got booked to uh, open for a guy from L.A. in Tucson, Arizona. And it was just a horrible pairing. Like, my stuff is really fast, and it's really, like, crowd-friendly. And his stuff was just, like, he was very, like, low energy, and it was very smart stuff that kind of, you had to kind of be on board so the first show that we did together, like half the crowd got up and left. And then late show, the owner of the club was like, I think I'm going to have you guys both do like 35 minutes a piece. And uh, the guy from L.A. was like, all right, whatever. So the late show, like almost the entire crowd got up and left. And it was just a really awkward drive back to the hotel. So the next day I got a call from the club and they told me that they had fired the guy from LA and sent him home and I was going to be headlining Saturday and they were going to bring in a different feature to open for me so I was like wow it's pretty cool but I felt bad for the guy that got fired because I've been there before you know so when I got to the club everybody was congratulating me on getting this guy fired and I was just like you know don't I don't need to be congratulated. Like, it's a horrible thing, you know? And then I told the Lisa Lampanelli story, and people were just like, just like, wow, that's a crazy story, like, that she got you fired. And then, like, seconds later, the owner of the club came over, and he put his arm around me, and he said, all right, well, this is your shot, pal. And he goes, "Don't, no extra pressure, but Lisa Lampanelli is coming in to watch you. And, like, the whole place just busted out laughing, and he had, like, a weird look on his face, and he's like, what? And I go, that is a joke, right? And he goes, what are you talking about? And I go, I just told a story about Lisa Lampanelli like three minutes ago. And I told him the story and he was like, oh my God, that's so crazy. He goes, for whatever reason, she's in town like visiting somebody. And she called up and asked who was headlining because she wanted to come down 
and see a comedy show. And I told her it was you. And she said, oh, cool, uh, we'll be down there. So her and her fiancé are coming down to see the show. And I was like, this is so crazy. So I did the show, and I was, like, selling my merch afterwards. And her and her fiancé came up to the table. And I was like, finally, after all these years, I'll finally get to stick it to her. But she was, like, so nice and uh, so many compliments. She told me, she's like, you know, I usually hate just like the road club comics that are out there, but she's like, gosh, you're really different. You're really funny. You have such like uh, original material. She was like, it was just a pleasure to watch you work. And like right at that moment when I was about to say, do you remember me? Do you remember me? Uh, the owner of the club came over and he was like, why don't we go chat in my office about trying to do that concert series thing or whatever. And and I just decided at that point, what's the purpose? You know, she doesn't even fucking remember me. She doesn't remember what happened. You know, she's just just having her take the time to come up to me and tell me how funny I was. Uh, you know, it kind of felt like um, I put that ghost to bed. So uh, this has been another Unbridled Enthusiasm podcast. Um, you can always get it on iTunes and Podbean largedrunkman.com for uh, my uh, uh, tour dates. I'm back on Twitter after eight months. Um, my Twitter is at the Mark Poulos, so check that out if you want to follow me on Twitter. And uh, visit uh, Something Blue by Anita K on Facebook. It's my wife's company. She does event and wedding photography, and uh, it's amazing. So... Please check it out and uh, tune in next time when we talk about who knows. When I'm flying in a plane or I'm on the street, there's a lot of famous people that I like to meet. They shake my hand and never ask my name, and they start asking questions that are always the same. Hey, what's Michael J. Fox like? He's nice. What's Michael J. Fox like? Nice guy. What's Michael J. Fox like? He's an alien. Stop asking me the question. of my nephew Josh Now I'm not Jewish but I like to nosh Put on my yarmulke Started to pray When the rabbi leaned over and I heard him say Hey, was that real manure? No it wasn't Was that real manure? No Was that real manure? It's a movie Stop asking me the question Can we take your picture? Come on, look mean Would you call my friend a butthead on his answering machine? Hey, questions, questions, just fill my What does a key grip do? Set up lights. What does the best boy do? Help the key grip. What does a producer do? I don't know. Stop asking me the question. Do you all hang out together? No, we don't. How's Crispin Glover? Never talk to him. Back to the future for not happening. Stop asking me the question. Hey, who's the nicest famous guy you know? Adam Sandler. Who is the biggest jerk? Gary Busey. How much money do